Thank you. Um, I usually get up here and I say, for those of you that don't know me, I'm the youth pastor. And at this point, I think it's just been obvious, right? <laughs> you guys know that I'm the youth pastor, but now I'm the bald youth pastor. And so um, just a quick update, the yellow, the yellow um, mohawk that I had to shave off was because the youth group got to 50, and then now they got to 63 last week. And so I'm really trying to not have a green beard, you guys. <laughs> And so what I'm going to offer them, and I'm really hoping they take me up on it, is I'm going to let them wax my legs, like from like the knees down. Ah, so pray with me both that that is successful and that I can live through it. So um, by successful, I guess I mean that they take me up on it, like the success of, yeah, it's going to suck. So... Um, all right, so here's the thing. I am excited that we get to get back into the book of Exodus. And, and part of the reason that I'm excited about this is because the book of Exodus, if, if you haven't uh, been here for a while or if you need to get caught back up, is the story of God's people being drawn out by a loving God out of something that they could not control, redeemed, and then placed in a position to serve him well. The story of the book of Exodus is the story of our lives. And so it's exciting for me that we get to get back to it. Before we do, um, I kind of, I've had a, another weird week. Um, I, I, I say that every time. My weeks are weird, apparently, especially the weeks when I get to preach, because God's doing something in me um, every week before I get to give it to you. And so um, I had this idea in mind, I'd love to talk to you guys about our freedom. Our freedom, right? We love freedom, don't we? Yes. That's the biggest amen we've had in this church. Shame on you. All right. So, but we love our freedom, right? America. If you say it with an A, you're not doing it right. America. <laughs> it was ironic then that I, I want to talk to you about freedom. And it was ironic then that yesterday I went to Sam's Club to pick something up and they gave me this little gift bag and in it they gave me this little... American flag. And I was like, if that's not God saying, that's what I want you to talk about, then um, I don't know, because how odd to just get this little trinket from somebody. Everybody, it feels like, loves their freedom. Amen. Right? Now, here's the reason, I think, because there's something in us that fights back against the tyranny of boundaries and rules and oppression and other people telling us what we can and can't do, Right? And in fact, I think we see it all around us in our culture, right? Uh, there's always this constant struggle for and against freedom. And we see it on both sides of the political spectrum. It kind of doesn't matter where you land. There's something about freedom that is just built into us. We hear things like, I, I should be free to love whoever I want to love. And then the next guy stands up and says, well, I feel like I should be free to buy missiles on Amazon, <laughs> right? And then somebody else says, we should be free. Somebody else will stand up and say, we should be free to decide. We should be able to decide what to do with my body, my body, my choice. That's a freedom thing. And then the next person goes, well, I feel like I should be free to make as much money as I want and not be taxed. Right? Taxation is theft, and that's not my freedoms are being taken away. And we have this both sides of the political spectrum. People are clamoring for freedom. Right? We find ourselves feeling like... Maybe it's built into us. We feel like I, I deserve control, right? I deserve to determine how this goes. You can't tell me 
The government shouldn't tell me, right? And the thing is, though, I think at some point we all eventually realize that if I'm really left alone to control everything about my life, I screw it up. Right? I don't know if maybe my experience is different than you. You guys were way into the freedom thing, so maybe the rest of this is going to be weird. <laughs> but for me, like, I remember being 15. You guys remember that feeling? It's like at some point you're like, I'm starting to look like an adult. <laughs> oh, the people I hang out with, they talk like adults, right? Don't tell my mom. And then, <laughs> and then at some point mom or dad or the school or somebody's got a rule that you don't like, and you're like, oh, I can't wait till I'm 18. Do you remember saying that? Do you remember feeling that? Like, I can't wait until I'm out of my parents' house and I have the freedom to do what I want. Right? I heard an amen on that one, too. That was weird. <laughs> Probably my kid. Like, my kids are serious. They're at that age right now. Like, I seriously, I've, like, we've got rules. Every house has their own set of rules, right? And one of our rules is we, we won't let you watch an R-rated movie. And the other day, I had one of my kids was like, I can't wait until I'm 18. I'm like, well, what is it this time? I'm going to watch all the John Wick movies the day I turn 18. I'm like, no, you're not, because you still live at home when you turn 18. <laughs> you don't get that freedom under my house, right? But we all have that in us, right? That, and we can remember what it was like to feel like, oh, I just need to break out of this control. I want my own freedoms. I want my own control. Now, fast forward from when you were 15 to when you were 20, What'd you do with that freedom that was so amazing? I stayed up till like four in the morning, got two hours of sleep and went to an 8 a.m. calculus class. That's what I did, right? Like, I remember, I remember living on my own on like Totino's pizza and hot sauce because I could. My, my belly grew faster than anything else, right? My acne was bad. I'm like, I don't know why all this stuff's happening to me, but I got the freedom to eat my pizza. We do dumb things with our freedom, don't we? We have a tendency to make a mess when we have absolute control, when we have absolute freedom, right? I, have the, I feel like I should have the freedom to chase my happiness all the way to a divorce. I feel like I should be allowed to chase my, my happiness and do the things that I want to until I'm $57,000 in debt with no way to pay it. We do some dumb things when the, sh the restraints are off, right? We, we tend to abuse freedom. And I think that's actually pretty normal. That's the human condition. There is something built in us that says, it's not right, I should be able to. I want to express myself, my will. Did you catch it? My will. My sinful will. We have this thing in us that's just, it's just, it grows and grows. And then we live in a country that kind of feeds it, right? I mean, let's, let's be fair. I go to Sam's Club. I'm not sure they're the most patriotic institution that I can think of, and yet they're handing out American flags, right? And so, not that freedom is inherently bad. Man, I am so, we could not live in a better country, Amen. right? God has given us this. It's a good thing. And yet what it does is it reinforces this thing in us that I deserve to control 
how my life goes, that I deserve this freedom, but then we also know that when, when I'm left with ultimate freedom in my life, I'm selfish and I'm dangerous. My freedom hurts other people almost every time. A lot of times it hurts myself, right? I hurt myself. And my guess is that the same thing is true in your life. Now, what does this have to do with Exodus? The people of God, the people of Israel, suddenly find themselves free. Think about that for a minute. You have a people that started as a family, and 400 years go by where they are slaves, and then out of Egypt, God calls them, God redeems them, he saves them out of that, and he sends them on this journey through the desert, and suddenly, they're free. And just like me, and just like you, they make a mess out of their freedom, don't they? Right? Do you guys remember, if, you were, if you've been with us since, you know, we've been doing this for a little while, do you remember when Jethro had to step in and, like, save Moses from being a bad dad because he was too much of a judge, right? And it was like, you've got to, like, do some other things. You can't simply stand here and mediate all of the problems. Why were there so many problems? Because I'm free to do what I want. I want your sheep. Well, I'm free to do what I want, so I dug a hole in the ground to get water out of it. I forgot to cover it up. I'm sorry you broke your leg. Freedom without limits is a mess, and you can imagine the mess that Israel was in, in this freedom. And so what does God do about it? We just had a short series, a short five-week series called the Decalogue. God starts by saying, I need to tell you who I am because you guys are going to be different than all the nations around you. You're going to be a light unto all the nations, but the way that you're going to do that is you're going to follow some rules, and he gives them the top ten. You remember that? The Ten Commandments? An expression of God's character supposed to be lived out in how they do life. But they were principles. They were, they were again, they're God's character, but they're, like, they're like kind of vague, right? You can't actually go to court on most of those things. I mean, a couple of them, like, don't murder, right? You're like, okay, you did that. Let's, you're in trouble, right? But some of those things, it's like, mm, I'm not quite sure what it meant to honor mom and dad, and like, am I I'm actually in trouble? And, and so what happens is right after the Ten Commandments, Moses goes back up on the mountain, and he gets what we call the Book of the Covenant. And so for three chapters, three and a half chapters, in the Book of Exodus, we're going to cover this Book of the Covenant, and it is case law. How many of you guys, like, enjoy going to a lawyer's office? Because case law is so thrilling, right? It's so exciting when it's like, oh, that one law has how many pages of detail? This is dumb and boring and, and necessary. To restrain unshackled freedom and the danger that it has. And so what God says here is, I'm going to give you guys some things to get you started. Now realize this is just a start. In the next three chapters, we're going to get 116 verses with 52 different laws in them. And they get a lot more than that when we get to the book of Leviticus. Right? I mean, they get a lot. But this gets them started. You can imagine that it, as they're wandering through the desert, as they're getting to the promised land, God's like, you got to start somewhere. These judges need something to go on to make their decisions. And so he gives them this book of the covenant. But just like the Ten Commandments, these laws would shape Israel to reflect God's character. When God gives you a law, a rule, it is built in who he is.
or it's a response to who you are. Have you guys ever had to make rules in your house that apply because of your house? Right? Like, um, in our house, you have to have permission before you can open the milk. That's kind of dumb, right? Unless you've got a kid that just opens the milk, pours a glass, and leaves it out to spoil every day, right? And so some of the things that we see in here are specific to the nation of Israel because God needed to deal with them. And some of them have principles behind them that we can find and we can apply to our lives today because all of it is built on God's character, right? And so what I want to do is I want to get us into that and, and realize that in, in these 52 laws, we're going to have things like property rights and injury claims and social and religious duties and uh, the dowry of a young girl and the cost of her virginity and justice and mercy and all of these things. And some of them are going to feel really foreign like this. Exodus 23, 19, do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. I don't know what you guys were planning on for dinner. You might need to adjust real quick. Actually, um, Pastor John asked me earlier, he's like, is it okay to cook oats in oat milk? And I thought, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. If, this, if there's a principle behind this, maybe that would be across the line. I don't know, right? Um, but it doesn't feel like that applies to me, right? Like I don't, I don't have a tendency of making that recipe. So maybe not my thing. How about this one? Do not allow a sorceress to live. I don't remember the last time I ran into a sorceress. I mean, I've watched Harry Potter a few times. I might recognize one. I don't think this really applies to me. I don't know. How about this one? If anyone uncovers a pit or digs one and fails to cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, then the one who opened the pit must pay the owner for the loss and take the dead animal in exchange. Glad they wrote that down for last week, right? Man, how many of us were caught by that? No? Okay. So you see what I'm saying? There's going to be things in here that we're going to skip. As we cover the Book of the Covenant, we're not going to give you all 52 because, quite frankly, we'd have to spend time talking about some of this. And it doesn't feel like it applies. But remember, it does reflect God's character. And so if you really dug, you could find out why. But I want to hit on some things that I feel like are a little bit more applicable for us. And what I want to do is I actually want to narrow it down. We're going to cover just a, a small portion of the book of the covenant, a small portion of these next few chapters today. But here's what I want you to remember, that out of all of the chaos that is freedom for a million plus people, God said, you're going to be different. If we're going to organize this, if we're going to rein this chaos in, we're going to make you magnetic. We're going to make you a people that draw the nations to me. And it reflects my character. So what I want to do is I want to take you guys kind of through, through this just at the beginning. And, and, I, and I wonder where God would start with this, right? How would God start if he, would, if he had to give you some rules, some boundaries for your freedom that, that really became magnetic to the people around you. What would he start with, right? Like he might start with murder, seems like an important one, or, or rape, or, you know, violent crimes, or like uh, loyalty. Uh, let's see where he actually starts, because it might catch you off guard. 
chapter 21, um, and actually it starts about eight verses earlier if you want to get picky, but um, chapter 21, he says this, these are the laws you are to set before them. Verse two, it's going to be on the screen. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he's to serve you for six years, but in the seventh year, he shall go free without paying anything. If he comes alone, he's to go free alone. But if he has a wife when he comes, she's to go with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the woman and her children shall belong to her master. Only the man shall go free. But, but if the servant declares, I love my master and my wife and children and do not want to go free, then his master must take him before the judges. He shall take him to the door or the doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl. It's an ice pick, okay? And he will be a servant for life. If a man sells his daughter as a servant... She's not to go free as male servants do. If she does not please the master who has selected her for himself, he must let her be redeemed. He has no right to sell her to foreigners because he's broken faith with her. If he selects her for his son, he must grant her the rights of a daughter. If he marries another woman, he must not deprive the first one of food or clothing or marital rights. And if he does not provide for her with these three things, she's to go free without any payment of money. That is where God decides to start this conversation. Some of that stuff makes me uncomfortable. I don't know about you guys. Right? I, I don't like reading passages like that. In fact, um, I've, I've kind of discovered something about myself that whenever I get to something that makes me uncomfortable, like, like out of all the things that you could start this conversation with, slaves? How we treat our slaves is what you pick? I don't like that. You can sell your daughter? What? I thought this was a reflection of, this, this is you? I don't like this. And so here's what I tend to do. I tend to read these things but I don't hear these things, right? I will read them. I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that probably, yep, and next verse. And that's about how much thought I put in it because if I put too much thought in it, I'm going to be angry. I'm going to be frustrated. I'm going to be upset. And what if I discover that my God makes me uncomfortable? What if my sensibilities don't line up with who he is? What do I do then? Or, or, Sometimes I think it's real easy for people to go, well, that, that was the, the God of the Old Testament. And I worship the God of the New Testament. And in our heads we go, I realize, same, same God, but, but, but I really like to focus on what I discover about him in the New. And uh, one day we'll sort out the rest. Right? Or there are people who take it far enough to actually say there's such a difference between the two that seriously, it's like God had this problem and Jesus fixed it. How many of us sometimes go, I really like the Jesus part of God. I don't like the Exodus part. I don't like the Leviticus part. I mean, seriously, why, why, why didn't he just say one verse? You won't have slaves. And he leaves, right? Like, how come he needs 11 verses on, like, how to treat them? How come he didn't just say, I don't think you guys should have slaves. That's a bad idea. Imagine the impact that might have made on our country a couple hundred years ago. If there was a verse in the Bible that was just like, don't. 
It might have made a pretty big impact, right? This reflects God's character. That makes me uncomfortable because I think it's hard to read this passage and not filter it through how I understand slavery. Right? Do you ever do that? When you come across something in Scripture and you're like, oh, that makes me uncomfortable because of what I already know. Right? When I think of slavery, I think of you, you, you steal people. Right? If you think back to, to our country, either Africans stole Africans or Europeans went and stole them. And either way, it ends up with a European person owning you forever. Like, not just you, your kids and their kids and you have absolutely no rights. You can't do anything about it, right? If I feel like selling your wife, say goodbye, right? And, all, and this type of slavery that's in my head is, is done all around the world still to this day, right? And there's all kinds of different reasons. Maybe it's the, skull, uh, the color of your skin, right? That one's famous. Maybe it's where you were born. Maybe it's your socioeconomic status. It's just, I just have more than you, so I will, Right? Maybe it's because you're a girl and girls can be sold for sex. There's any number of reasons why people get stolen and become slaves. And they're forced into it. And it's lifelong and they have no rights. And when I read this, I go, God, you probably should have just said no. He did say no, actually. I don't have it on the screen, but listen to this. This is only like a few verses further down, Exodus 21, 16. Anyone who kidnaps someone is to be put to death, whether the victim has been sold or is still in their possession. Wait a minute. Do you mean it's possible to, for this to not be talking about that kind of slavery where somebody is taken, where somebody is stolen? Yeah. Actually, what's crazy is the way that I understand slavery is nothing like this. Did you guys know, or maybe you don't, think, think about it for a minute. Is there any reason why God couldn't get rid of slavery in this culture? Why he couldn't just make it go away? Why it might be a necessary part of life? I can think of four reasons. So I'm going to list them off to you, okay? The first one, a first reason why it's possible that God actually needed slavery or allowed slavery in this culture, but under these conditions, was because of extreme poverty. Leviticus 25, 39. I don't have it on my screen, but I think I know how to use this. Yeah, amen, right? It's not quite as fast, it's not quite as fun, but it does have it. All right, Leviticus 25, 39. If any of your fellow Israelites become poor and sell themselves to you, do not make them work as slaves. They are to be treated as hired workers or temporary residents among you. They are to work for you until the year of Jubilee. Then they and their children are to be released and they will go back to their own clans and the property of their ancestors. One reason is simply because of poverty. You know what they didn't have in ancient Israel or wandering through the desert? They didn't have welfare. They didn't have food stamps. 
They didn't have the church. They had each other, though. And so if I can't feed my family, if I'm like, I'm, I'm so unable, right? Maybe I lost my, my job or, or maybe for some reason in a drought season, like I lost my land or, or whatever. And I get to the point that I can't actually put food on the table, but I see this family who's, who's doing okay. They're doing well. And I think the guy might have some integrity. He seems to treat everybody well. I could literally go knock on his door and say, I don't think I can feed my family anymore. Could you? I'll work for you. I will serve you. Can we live in your house? Can we live under your protection? Another reason that we might have to need slavery in this culture is because of bankruptcy. You make a deal with somebody that you can't pay, and what happens to us now? Well, you got all kinds of protections in the court, right? You can actually go bankrupt. They didn't have a bankruptcy law. They didn't have insurance that might cover a loss like that. If you owed somebody money, you paid it back. What if you couldn't pay it back? You'd work it off, right? If you owed a debt that you could not pay, you would work it off. And somebody else could buy that debt too. Like, Maybe you owe me $30, right? And I'm not patient enough. I'm like, dude, I don't know if we're going to do this for the next several years. And somebody else comes along and they go, I will pay your money. I get them. That was possible. You could buy somebody's debt and they become your slave. For a while. Another one was a daughter to be married. Now, this one we just covered. Right? Did you guys see it there? And, and that was maybe one of those things that kind of made you uncomfortable there in, uh, in Exodus 21 as we were reading about slaves. It said, if a man sells his daughter as a servant, she's not to go free as male servants do. If she does not please the master who has selected her for himself, he must let her be redeemed. He has no right to sell her to foreigners because he's broken faith with her. You could, if you could, if you could not support your daughter and it didn't look like she had any prospects for marriage, you could find that guy in town who seems to have integrity but has the means to take care of your daughter. And you could sell the responsibility to make sure she's okay. But it came with some serious strings attached. You will make her part of your family, right? Like, she is yours. And you don't have the right to just, like, send her off to somebody else. You can't just, like, trade slaves around and my daughter's gone. If you, if you do this, she's part of your household. And then it goes on here to say that, like, if, if, if you bought a Hebrew daughter for your son, you will instantly treat her like a daughter. That's what it says, right? She becomes a part of the family instantly. And if it's for you, you'll treat her like a wife. And, and God forbid you decide you need another wife. She doesn't become the second-class wife. She gets all the rights of the other one, too. You will feed her. You will protect her. She even gets marital rights. Think about 
Think about that for a minute. 3,500 years ago in the desert when women had no value and what God says here is she can decide if she's happy sexually or not or she can go free. This was revolutionary, you guys. We look at this stuff and you go, oh, I got stopped when it said you could sell your daughter part. (laughs) Did you hear the rest of it? Because there might be a reason I can't take care of her. Would you is the reason But look at everything that she gets in return. She will be part of that family forever. No trading. You take care of her, right? And then the last reason for a slave, restitution. They didn't have prisons in the desert, right? It wasn't like, well, we're going to pack up the camp and, and can you like collapse down the bars? And they didn't have a prison system. In fact, when they got to Israel, they didn't start with a prison system. If you did something wrong, if you stole somebody's donkey, you owed them. And the way that the court could punish you is say, you're their slave for a while. Restitution was another reason because they didn't have a a prison system. But listen, in all of these circumstances, you were supposed to treat that person so well that they might want to stay. Did you catch that? Back in in verse 5, but if a servant declares, I love my master and my wife and my children, I don't want to go free. Because you could. You realize that, like, this wasn't a lifelong thing. Six years. Six years max. Like, the worst crime you do, the biggest debt you've got, six years somebody can have you as their household servant or they they use your, your, uh, your skills out in the field for six years. And at the end of that, they go, you're free, but you're supposed to treat them in such a way that at the end of six years, they might go, I don't want to go free. This is good for me. I like it here. You treat me so, like, I have never lived this well. My family, I raised my family under your roof, right? And you remember how we all have a tendency to to be selfish and dangerous when we've got our freedom. And sometimes I think it's possible that these people were so well-treated or the call was for them to be so well-treated that they would look and they'd go, I remember my life before. There's a reason I'm in this situation. I'm not going back to that. My freedom isn't worth it. Now, again, why start here, though? I mean, God could have included this and maybe made some other things like the priority, right? Like, isn't violent crime a little bit bigger deal than this? Or isn't murder a little bit bigger? Or rape? Or incest? Like, seriously, there's some things I feel like were more important to get to first. Why start with laws about how you treat your slaves? They were slaves. 400 years, generation after generation, no rights, no privileges, no recourse. They were slaves. Why did God start here? Because he starts with who they are. He says, we're going to build a society, but it's going to be different. It's not going to be the one you grew up in. And yes, there's a reason you might need slavery in this time, right? A reason that has expired by 2020. But what you remember, that's not how we're going to do it, right? 
When they read this, realize it's written to the person that owns a slave. I guarantee you the first time this was read, not a single person went, oh, that's how I'm going to do it. Every one of them went, oh, thank God. I'm the slave. That's a refuge. If I had just come out of Egypt and I hear, we're going to do it this way, I'm like, hallelujah. Mm. God begins with who they are and then shows them, you're not going to be like everybody else. You're going to set up this new nation and you're not going to turn into Egypt. You're going to take care of the poor and the marginalized and the foreigner and the weak among you. You're going to take care of the daughters. And all through this book of the covenant, we see exactly that. We will come across things that sound hard from 2020 looking back. But from Egypt looking forward, this was God's care and his mercy. And he said, you might need slavery, but you're not gonna, it's not going to look the same. It's not going to feel the same. You mean I, I won't have to be split up from my family? You mean I, I don't have to do this for life? You mean my master can't just abuse me? Like a few chapters later, or even a few verses later, we see that like if you hit your slave and they lose a tooth, they're free. If, if you hurt their eye, they're free. They've got rights. And you go, you mean, seriously? Like, I've got some scars. Yeah, you won't have scars next time. I'll protect you. These laws will protect you. It was a reflection of God's character. That's what it meant to them. But what does it mean to you? What does it mean to us? What does it mean for me? You were bought with a great price too. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, then this is true of you. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. It's a great conversation about how you live your life and what you do with your body, and that's not what I'm focused on. Did you catch the part in the middle? You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Step out of this story in Israel for a minute and step into your story. Do you remember last week we talked about where, was, where were you when the gospel found you? What is your story? You had a debt you couldn't pay. Do you remember how that law went? What was one of the reasons for this merciful slavery? If I had a debt that I couldn't pay, somebody else could come pay it. Thank God Jesus came and paid for that. But what was the result? If they paid my debt, I'm their slave. Are you telling me I'm a slave now? Pastor Jason, like you're, wait a minute. I thought I was free. I'm a slave. Romans 6, verse 22. But now that you've been set free from sin, there's that free part, we like that part. Now that you're free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. I'm a slave? Yeah. Yeah, he paid for you. 
You had a debt you couldn't pay. And he did. And he bought the right to you. You're his slave. But here's the twist. Something special happened in the upper room. There was this conversation, this intimate conversation between Jesus and his disciples, and it's chapters long, one night with just so much of God's care and love and what was going to happen at the cross and what it meant for them, right? And buried in that conversation in John 15, verse 15, we get this little beautiful truth. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I've made known known to you. He bought you, and he has the right to you. And he says, I'm not going to call you a a slave. You're my friend. And think about that for a minute. He opens the gates. He opens the door, and he says, I own you, but I'm going to call you my friend. You're free to come and go. I won't force you to do anything. I have a right to. You're mine. I'm not going to make you act a certain way. I'm not going to expect this behavior or you get this punishment or like, I'm not going to beat you. I'm not going to force you into submission. Doors open, friend. Don't forget the price I paid, but the doors open. And we've got this term that you'll find all throughout the New Testament and in church language. We talk about Christian freedom. You mean I can just do whatever I want to on Saturday night? And I can, and it's paid for? Yeah. Yeah. That is literally what it means. I can incur more debt and, and, and he just, it's already paid for? Yes. You have the freedom in Christ. That's a crazy idea, right? I think a lot of times when we think about the freedom we have in Christ, we think about the first time when he freed us from sin, and that's not it. It's, he says, as a friend, instead of as a slave, the doors open, you're free to make those decisions. Now, I love the way that some of the giants in our faith responded to that freedom. The Apostle Paul in Romans 1.1. Peter in 2 Peter 2.1, or 2 Peter 1.1. James 1.1. Jude 1.1. All begin with the exact same statement. And any one of these guys had the ability to walk into a room and say, everybody listen, I'm Paul. Right? Don't you know who's here? My name's Peter. I walked on water. You better listen. You know who I am? I'm James. I'm, I'm Jesus' half-brother, and I run the church in Jerusalem. Not a single one of them started their letter that way. They all said, from Jude, a bondservant to Christ. 
Paul, I, Paul, who have all of these things that I could call myself, I choose in my Christian freedom to call myself a bondservant. What? A slave. What? You're free. I imagine Jesus goes, Paul, you're free. And he goes, I don't, I'm not sure I want to go back to what freedom looked like. Yeah, but, I mean, the door's open, Paul. Maybe he'd say that to you. The, the door's open, son, daughter, friend. Yeah, but I don't, I don't want to go back to, to life out, out there. Good thing in Exodus there was a provision for this, right? Back in Exodus 21, verse 5, right there in the middle of this whole conversation about servants and slaves, it says, but if the servant declares, I love my master and my wife and children, I don't want to go free, then his master must take him before the judges. He shall take him to the door or the doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl, and then he will be a servant for life. And so I imagine James grew up with Jesus, right? And Jesus goes, the door's open, brother. You can go. You're free. I will keep paying for whatever you do in your freedom. And James goes, there's no way I'm going out there. There's no way I want what's on the other side of that door. Yes, it's freedom, but it's not what I want. I want to be here. Hit it. <laughs> right? Do it. Put that ice pick through my ear. I'm yours. And I think that would be if you listen to the cry in your heart and you know what you do with your freedom, if Jesus actually gave you the chance to walk out of the room, man, I'd be running to that doorpost. Where's the nail? I'm yours. Right? Freedom, my freedom, is selfish and dangerous and messy. But what I've experienced in my master's care is exactly the opposite. He's selfless, and he causes me to be selfless. He's safe, and it's so not a mess. Sometimes I'm a mess in the house, but the way that he runs the house isn't what makes me messy, right? And here's, here's the reason underneath all of this. There's a truth. And Jesus talks about it. He kind of alludes to it when he's talking about money and, and God. Absolute freedom is a myth. You will be a slave to something. Right? If I get to walk out of that door, I'm going to be a slave to my lust. I'm going to be a slave to my addiction. I'm going to be a slave to money or the pursuit of everybody else's applause. I'm going to be a slave to my children or to my life lived through them or to sports or pick your thing, gambling. There's all kinds of things, but you will be a slave to something. And my guess is right now, if I just paused for five seconds and said, I want you to picture in your mind that thing that you're a slave to, I'll bet you most of you just came up with something. 
It's easy for me to go, yeah, if I was outside, if I, every time I go out the door, that's my problem. I'm a slave to that when I'm outside. And it's not true that you won't be. You will be a slave to something. Jesus said, you can serve God, you can serve money, you can't serve them both. Nowhere in there did he said, you get off just not serving. You're going to serve something. Your only freedom is the freedom to choose your master. In 2 Peter, or 1 Peter chapter 2, it says this, live as free people, right? Knowing the door's open, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. In one verse, he's able to say, live as free people, live as God's slaves. You are free to choose your master. When God bought you, he could have treated you like a slave. He could beat you when you're bad. He could have punished bad behavior. He didn't have to love you. He didn't have to provide for you, but he calls you his friend. And the door is open for you to come and go as you please. But out there, freedom is where I've experienced the most bondage and pain and destruction. And in here, where I've got these rules, I've also got the protection and the love and the care of a good master who wants what's good for me. My best life is as a slave. And like Exodus 21, he treats us differently when, when faced with what to do with my freedom, I run to the doorpost and I'm like, where's that all? Right? Sign me up. I want to be a bond servant for life. The greatest thing you can do with your freedom is to become a slave to Jesus. If I had more words to put up there, the greatest thing you can do with the freedom that Jesus gives you is to turn around and become a slave to Jesus. There is no greater use of your freedom than to say, I'm yours for life. I'll follow the rules of your household willingly. I'll listen to the, your leading in my life willingly. I'll go where you want, when you want, how you want. I will do it your way. Because I know that you've got my best interest in heart. You're that good, good master. I know you love me and you care for me. That is the heart of God that was reflected in the law that was so hard to read 45 minutes ago. This is the God that wanted even back then for everybody to see that I freed you first. I own the right to you. But I'm going to let you be free. I've got boundaries and rules in here, but I know how to take care of you in here too. And over and over, you, you, like we read these laws and some of them are hard to read. Some of them are like, wow, the expectation was sure high. You know what happens at every opportunity? The people go, yes, sign us up every time because they were seeing the heart of God and it was worth it. It's worth it for us. It's worth it for you to be a slave for Christ. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we're thankful that you paid for that debt. 
And I think sometimes that's where we stop when we're thanking you. I'm thankful that I'm your friend and not your slave. But I want to be your slave. I want to be that bondservant. I want to, I'm signing up for life to do it your way and to trust that this is going to be the best life I could possibly have. We pray that over my, my friends here, that that would be their heart, that they would be committed to you the way that Paul and James and Peter were, that they would run to the doorpost and say, hit it. I want to be marked for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um...